Welcome to the Design Build Institute of America's Design Build Delivers podcast. I'm Kim Wright at DBIA's national headquarters. The uncertainty that comes with national efforts to fight the coronavirus pandemic has impacted every aspect of our daily lives. For design build teams facing project delays and cancellations, it's especially important to understand the contractual obligations for each project. Today, we talk to Steve Reams, who specializes in construction law and civil litigation as a partner with the law firm Smith Curry. He'll offer some tips and insights into how teams can prepare for the present and future in this uncertain world. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, there are so many uncertainties out there right now in the industry and, and firms and, and workers trying to figure out what's next, what's coming, um, what's ahead. Give me an idea of what are some of the biggest concerns that, that you're hearing from clients and, and even design builders generally. Well, one of the biggest concerns really is just are people allowed to continue with their projects? Um, some states and municipalities have taken steps to uh, halt certain construction projects. Um, others have taken different steps. I was just um, because of some uh, um, client issues was taking a look at New Jersey today, who is allowing projects to go forward, but with uh, recommendations for uh, contractors and companies to utilize best efforts to reduce staff as much as possible. Uh, and try to maintain the six-foot distance where they can. I have other clients whose projects are con continuing uh, for now, uh, but um, the biggest concern, I think, is just whether or not projects are going to be uh, shuttered uh, in order to reduce in-person contact. And, and that's no small, you know, that's no small feat, too, as you try to navigate. How do you, how do you keep people safe on your job site? How do you um, you know, fulfill the obligations that you have to specific, you know, limitations from either your county, state, you know, local municipalities, and yet still produce a project. That that's correct, and um, you know, the um, as as more and more states and more and more cities take steps to uh, to uh, halt um, what they are terming non-essential businesses. You know that raises the question: Does keeping the construction project moving forward qualify as essential? And um, I noticed in the New Jersey, looking at their executive order from the governor, basically just said that um, among all their prohibitions that they have, which are really leaving your house and and engaging in activities that are non-essential, um, they are accepted from that law enforcement, military, and then they threw in construction. So, um, and basically their thinking was that work cannot be done remotely, which is is one approach, is to say, can the work be done remotely? And if it can't, then you can go do it in a non in a in another setting, a live setting. If but the other approach would be to say, we're not going to allow that because we, we have to uh cut down on the on um in person contact. And other states have taken that position where essentially construction projects are not going forward. Um, I noticed in Georgia today, well, it wasn't done today, it was done Friday, I think, the, the, the governor signed an executive order basically stating that 
because the building departments are currently so overwhelmed, plan review and inspections would take place, could, could be performed by, uh, by private companies. Now, that's always been allowed if the uh, public agencies can't or are not getting to their um, through their caseload rapidly enough, but you have to submit it and still wait a certain period of time. So what this executive order did was dispense with the waiting period. So depending on where you're located, some some states certainly are taking the position that projects need to continue to go. Others are taking an opposite position, and that depending on what how the state reacts is going to have a large effect on how the contracts are going to be interpreted in terms of whether or not one party is relieved or both parties perhaps relieved from performance. And the fact that um, so much of this response is in fact locally based or state based, um, I would think that that lack of consistency nationwide also presents a real challenge for organizations, particularly those that are in multiple states as far as how to proceed in each yeah. individual unique situation. It, it, it does, although that's not really new because state, uh, each each of the 50 states and the territories all have certain nuances to their laws that always apply as long as you're working in a contract that is governed by that state's law. Uh, different indemnity obligations or rather requirements that you can put into a contract limitations on um, hold harmless agreements or limitations of liability, things like that are always a little bit different state to state. So if a, if a, for companies that work nationwide or work in multiple states, they're always going to be accustomed to there being nuances. The new challenge is really, are, this is big picture stuff, are we excused from performance? Is the project gonna be shut down? If it's suspended for some period of time, are we entitled to compensation? If we're ordered to participate with smaller staffs and smaller numbers of personnel in order to uh, limit uh, close contact, and that then slows the project down, is A, the owner entitled to some compensation, or is the contractor or design builder entitled to compensation because they would have been finished with that project earlier? So. A lot of this stuff is really just now hitting um, the, the top burner, the front burner, and I don't know that we have a lot of answers on these yet. Every, um, every event on a construction project can have widespread impact to all the players, and uh, certainly owners want their projects delivered quickly so they can put them into operation and, and begin to realize financial benefit from the project. Um, but by the same token, contractors and design builders benefit to finish projects um, on schedule. I won't necessarily say always more quickly, but you make money by getting finished with projects and getting off of them, collecting final payment and moving on to the next one. And in either event, that is clearly going to be impacted and delayed by the issues with the virus. And um, if, if two parties are looking at each other to say who gets to recover in this event, those are the questions we really don't have answered yet because we've, um, they, unfortunately with the law, they're oftentimes answered in some sort of dispute resolution process, either arbitration or a court, and you don't know how someone's going to rule until the ruling comes down. So let, let's, talk, let's talk then a little bit about 
force majeure and, and where getting a you know, like every day is a new day in you know in all honesty, we know that right. to be true. What what is it what what's the what's the the best advice you can give someone who is still just exactly not not quite sure where this is going to go for project A, let's say. I would think that as design builders generally try to approach their projects, communication is probably key. Maybe having those conversations early rather than late. Yes, I mean, design build is intended to be a collaborative process. I think right now those that need for collaboration uh, is essential, uh, probably more than it's ever been. Uh, secondly, it's uh, it's always been an area where work, good working relationships, particularly maybe if parties have a history together, can benefit the next project because of their ability to communicate. So absolutely, I think parties have to start communicating about where they're going and what they hope to have happen as quickly as possible. Clearly, if, if there's an order to cease work, that is some, that is an event that's going to be likely treated as a true force majeure event, although force majeure is never easy. Courts interpret it narrowly, and the tendency is to look for language in that force majeure clause that it either covers the event in question or is close enough that you can say the force majeure event was contemplated by the parties. If it's not contemplated, then it's sort of the wild west of it um, in terms of what parties can argue. But I would say that uh, a governmental order to shut down is likely going to be a force majeure event. Then the question becomes, how do we treat the fallout from that? Um, but also, too, I think people are going to have to think more long term than that. Um, you know, even just within the last week, uh, life has changed so much in terms of what people are doing, are expecting to do, what would be normal, and now what would be really something that you would be, you know, not only not want to do for health and safety reasons, but practically ashamed to undertake. So what does that mean for certain projects? Are some projects going to be needed in the same way when they're scheduled to be complete? Um, maybe maybe that project isn't as isn't necessary, or if it is necessary, isn't necessary in the same way. And I, I think that there will need to be a, a tremendous amount of flexibility on both the project delivery side and on the owner side to sort out where we go in 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 what truly are uncertain times where we don't know how this is going to develop over time. And um, you know, hopefully. That last bit is, is is overblown, and a few months from now we're thinking, well, you know, that's all behind us, and I hope that that's the case. But um, clearly, this could have an impact on the type and nature of the final products projects, rather, that we hope to have when the, when projects that are currently underway are being completed or scheduled to be complete. Oh, that's interesting. So you know, you're contracted to build a massive new, let's say, college dormitory because you're expecting, you know, massive growth on college campuses, which we've seen all over the nation over the last few years, and yet then we hit an event like this, and, you know, will that college really need all that bed space? I mean, what do you do with a contract to build something that maybe, in hindsight, the owner says, uh, actually, I don't need that. I Maybe we need 
food service or we need, I don't know, a new study, study a new academic building. I mean, I, I guess that's, that's what you're talking about is the uncertainty of knowing right. what's actually going to be needed on the back exactly. side. And a great many contracts will have in them uh, termination for convenience clauses where an owner can come out and say for no reason at all or for reasons strictly personal to the owner, we're terminating the project. And then you go into the termination for convenience clause and sort out the remedy, which some at least typically would pay for all work completed to date, including reasonable profit and overhead on that work. Typically would also pay for costs to demobilize and sometimes will also include uh, some portion of the fees and profit that are lost by not completing the work. Not always, but sometimes it will include that. So if an owner clearly doesn't need a project, then um, they have that option to terminate for convenience normally. Absent that option, then they're still bound unless you can claim a force majeure event or you can claim some type of um, change in circumstances. This is a this would take a something really monumental, change in circumstances so fundamental that the purpose of the contract is no longer in existence. That is a tough one. That that's a that's a very high standard. Force majeure typically relieves performance of the parties, but doesn't necessarily mean that the pro- the contract is over, and that's I think would have to be analyzed pretty pretty difficult. Are we is the force majeure saying that it no longer has to be complete by a certain date because you can't get enough workers on site, or is the force majeure going to say the entire project is now unnecessary. And I think that analysis is going to be different under either argument. The, obviously, if we're saying the entire project is no longer necessary and both parties just get to go home, that's a higher standard. But mm-hmm. but in all honesty, most contracts are going to have some sort of termination for convenience clause. I think what owners might want to think about, though, uh, is this. Or would we rather go into some sort of long-term suspension with the project? Um, under typical contracts, if they are, if work is suspended for a period of time uh, that the contract would name, once you exceed that period of time in total days of suspension, the either contractor or design builder would have the right to terminate for default, basically saying, you know, you've suspended work now for accumulation of 60 days in the last year or 30 continual days, whatever the contract says. So we can now exercise our right to terminate for default and claim default damages. An owner, to come out and say, we will never need this dormitory is a big call. But to come out and say, I would like six months to a year to decide if I'm going to need this dormitory. Uh, but I don't really want to kick everybody off site, demobilize, and have to rebid to bring someone back. I think this is when you go into your collaboration mold and try to uh, come up with a um, maybe a maybe some sort of long-term suspension so the parties can step back, shutter the project in a way that is um, safe and, and, and preserves the work in place and is um, economically uh, uh, it is the most economical way to do it, so that it could be reopened without having to reopen the project from absolute scratch because. Anytime you do try to hire one company to finish another company's work, regardless of the circumstances, it is typically a lot more expensive because 
you're bringing someone into, you know, a half-finished project with unknown circumstances. They're going to have to do a certain amount of um, evaluation once they're on site anyway, and it's always more expensive. It's, I've never seen a project replace a contractor or design builder and come out cheaper at the end than it was originally contracted for. So I think if parties are really being collaborative, this might be a time when they could sit down and craft some unique solutions and issue a change order to allow for uh, the parties to watch how this develops a bit over time before they make ultimate decisions on their projects. Well, to some degree, it gets back to that classic case of managing risk, too. Everyone is going to be managing a good amount of risk going forward, I think, any way you cut it. Um, but that type of collaborative conversation might allow it to be spread across all of the parties, potentially. Exactly. And um, the idea being, I mean, it's always cheaper to negotiate something reasonable that you can live with than it is to fight over the ultimate outcome. And then if you fight over the ultimate outcome, it's expensive and you may not prevail, um, which is why, as lawyers, we always tell clients that litigation is inherently risky. So, yeah, collaboration, trying to come up with mutually agreeable solutions. Um, we're going to see this in a lot of contracts. Uh, we, we really focus on the construction industry, but because we do represent some owners, we sometimes get contacted about leases and parties in long-term leases amid the virus where they have businesses that rely upon um, fairly close human contact. You know, they're really wondering what's our option here. Are we going to, we may be out of business in the short term or the long term. And what is it that we can do to mitigate that? So um, I think you're going to see, uh, by the same token, it, it never does uh, the opposite, the other party a great deal of good to have the party with whom they have the contract default. I mean, they may have, you may have remedies for the default, but you'd far rather just have people perform their contractual obligations. So even if you might be in a position to be the winner in that dispute, there's great merit in figuring out a mutually agreeable solution rather than just put someone in default and try to recover in a lawsuit. I would think it, it comes to building long-term relationships too between an owner and industry. If you can come through a difficult time like this, um, I would think that would serve you well in the future versus ending up in court litigating a contract in a difficult situation that nobody could afford to see in the first place. I, I, I absolutely agree with that, and particularly in the design-build community, which tends to be a smaller subset of the overall, well, it is a subset of the overall construction industry, so by definition, it is a smaller community. And we've always tried to teach in our DBIA certification classes that, you know, as a community, people have memories, and, you know, you want to be the party that is reasonable and collaborative, um, regardless for your long-term health. And I do think that people are going to come out of this on the other side with a different appreciation of relationships perhaps than they had going in, in part because we're isolated. Everybody's working from home. And I think that when you are able to um, work with someone who provides a positive experience despite all of this um, uncertainty and tragedy that's going on, I think that's going to have the opportunity to forge some extremely strong long-term relationships. Thanks to Steve Reams with the law firm Smith Curry for offering his insight into the legal challenges facing our industry. 
DBIA continues to search for ways to help our members and community during these challenging times. We've created a number of new programs, including new virtual training courses, a free webinar series, industry daily updates, and a DBIA FAQ for our members. Find out about all of these from our homepage at dbia.org.